Welcome to Oblong Desk. We are here again, myself, John Tyndall, and Noakes. Hello, Noakes. Yes, we're back and pretending that it's the summer this time, unless it is when you're listening to this, in which case, don't worry about that. Well, it is quite sunny, actually, on day of recording today, in a rare moment of niceness, but it's going to snow again. Should give you a clue as to when we're actually recording this. Sometime when it snowed. <laughs> that doesn't narrow it down, does it, really? <laughs> it's nice and vague. Nice and vague. Anyway, yeah, like you say, we, we talked about this before. I do think it's really quite interesting that we both sort of grew up in, a, in an era where you broadcast stuff and then it was gone, live radio. And these days the podcast is king and you never know when or where the listener will be tuning in to listen to this. And I think that's uh, – it's nice, but it's weird. Yeah, I know what you mean, um, which isn't something you can say about Now 31. It's actually not very weird as an album. I think it sits together quite well, and um, I think it's a, a pretty good uh, edition. I don't know what you thought when you were listening to this one. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what there was, and we'll come to this really quite quickly when we start reviewing it, but that there's a lot of what I would term iconic tracks from bands. It's like that band's signature song, and we get quite a lot of those on Now 31, which is unusual. You don't normally get that kind of sense of a band's biggest hit or most well-known hit being all clumped together, which gives it a sort of more important field than perhaps it, it, its chart position or their chart positions would suggest. Yeah, I know what you mean. It does also unfortunately mean that there are quite a few songs that are very familiar to our listener, <laughs> especially early on. Uh, and you may think, oh, not, not this. I've heard this a million times on the radio. Well, yes, you will have done for some of these. Um, but as you say, it does mean that it's got a bit more of a lasting quality to this one i suppose um so shall we uh deal off the now 31 facts i think it's about that sort of time yes yes well appropriately enough for the 31st edition it was released on the 31st of july 1995 so quite far into summer this one uh 40 top chart hits is the blurb and for once they're split evenly 20 on each disc the cover is a kind of dark brown gold cityscape quite a different from their usual summer themes on the now albums even now they still put beach balls and sun sunny scapes on the front and this one it's not really got that kind of feel to it but i i kind of like it it's not like any of the other now covers i don't think an air of sophistication. Sophistication. Don't talk to me. No, we're not going down that road. Um, there are three number ones on here, um, and we'll come to those uh, as we get to them. There are two major number ones that are missing. One of them I'll talk about later when we do our um, Look What You Could Have Won feature. The other one's Robson and Jerome, so we don't need to worry about that because we don't really care that's that that's not on here um in terms of chart performance four weeks on top of the chart pretty standard really i'd say for this period of now albums uh first appearance for amongst others supergrass and the last appearance for duran duran which you're probably not too sad about i expect simple minds on the last one now duran duran <laughs> well you know i'm i've always been misquoted on my dislike of duran duran it was always a relative thing with yeah. other people in my life who loved Duran Duran like 
to the max and I could never live with that level. So my, my enthusiasm was always less. But they did some good stuff in the 80s. And as we've been discovering, they did some good stuff quite recently. The track on this one, without giving too much away, I'm not so sure is a fitting epitaph. <laughs> yeah, career. I mean, they did have hits later on in the 2000s, but they never got captured on now albums. So this is a slightly unusual one to go out on. It, it, it divides opinion, let's say, but we'll come to that in uh, due course. <laughs> First of all, though, we'll kick off and we ought to play you something. So uh, how about track one, disc one of Now 31? It's Wet, Wet, Wet and Don't Want to Forgive Me Now. She's on the make, she's out of touch. My heart, she breaks much too much. When we're together, we fall apart again. That is track one on disc one of now 31, that's a lot of ones, which we're reviewing here on Oblong Desk. The third time that uh, Wet 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 had been in that position, you'd expect Goodnight Girl and uh, Love Is All Around to be in that spot because they were huge number one hits, though their, their other number one wasn't. Um, but this one's slightly unusual. It wasn't a massive hit. It got to number seven. So you might argue a bit lucky to be in that uh, coveted track one spot but um, I think it's one of their finest tunes I always prefer their upbeat songs to the ballads anyway um, and this is one of those that's just been completely forgotten about you don't really hear it on the radio I remember we played it a lot at the time on the radio pro- probably the both of us but uh, a few months later you, you just barely heard it again really yes amen brother I could not agree more about wet 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 and their ability to excite me with their up-tempo songs and similarly bore me to death. I mean, just mentioning Goodnight Girl makes me want to fall asleep, just like the girl in the song. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's upsetting, actually. It's upsetting that they are capable of producing this level of such pleasing, catchy, classy pop. And you say, like you say, 10 seconds after you after it was a hit – never heard it again because uh, everyone's too busy just playing lovers all around again and again and again if only we could be treated to their up-tempo stuff more i might be more generous when it comes to the ballads but yeah love this i think it's really good it's a really nice song and it's so well sung as much as anything marty's voice suits these kind of songs much more than ballads where i always find him a bit grating and thin and bleh. Yeah, he goes a bit club singer sometimes on the ballads, whereas on the mid-tempo, up-tempo ones, he reins it in a bit and sings it what I would call properly. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the thing is we don't want to forgive me now is it's the only upbeat song that came off that album, uh, which was Picture This. Um, all the others were ballads, and, you know, a couple of them were all right, I would say, but this is the standout track for me of all the singles they released off this album. It's a fan favourite as well, as uh, the good lady wife, uh, Veronica, reminded me, uh, when the lyric comes in about uh, da, 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 easy I, I don't know the exact lyric I'm not not that big a fan like she is um, they all shout easy 
easy, easy in the concert back at them because there's a little gap there where that fits. So, uh, yes, there's a bit of fan interaction there with that one as well. So uh, We've got some more of that coming up later, actually, where songs have been, have had things added to them. I won't uh, spoil that. Instead, let's play something else um, and an enormous hit, a very popular turntable hit, Edwin Collins, and you'll be familiar with A Girl Like You. Girl Like You from Now 31. It is disc one, track two. And here's the thing with this one. It's one of these where I can kind of act like a bit of a big head, such a big head, because uh, we played this in November 1994 when it first came out. It got to number 42 then, just missed the top 40. Um, And so we were kind of bored of it by the time it came round in 95 and was re-released again and was a big hit. Um, You will, by the way, listener, notice that there's you can tick them off if you want several occasions where i use the phrase originally released in 1994 on this album so listen out for oblong desk bingo yes fantastic um i really liked this when it came out um probably the second time because by this time i was being subjected to commercial radio and so therefore had to hear things when they were deemed to be hits by program controllers and indeed play them when they were deemed to be hits or others. This was one of the ones that was definitely on the Hallam FM playlist. Um, it suffered a little bit from being overplayed down the years. Um, so, so I don't like when I hear it now, I kind of go, not this again, but that's because I played it so much. Um, and actually it is still a really, really good, 60s tinged quality piece of pop and you know if anyone's not familiar with it because they listen to other things and then uh, don't let the fact that i'm slightly jaded by it put you off because it is really really good yeah it's still a good song i mean if it comes on the radio it's not you know so overplayed and so annoying that you well i wouldn't turn it off i think i'd leave it on but i wouldn't be particularly enthralled by it either it was certainly a favorite at uh, sagnall as well doc um when i was on on that radio station so uh, yeah it was um I, it was everywhere wasn't it and i think it was another one of those that uh, a certain ginger topped presenter played far more than was entirely necessary uh, see also the Boo Radleys from the previous uh, Now album, um, which didn't help, I don't think. But, uh, you know, he's, he's a nice guy, is Edwin. He had a really nasty um, medical problem a few years back, which means that he's slightly limited in what he can do now uh, musically. But he still makes albums, I believe. Uh, he's not a one-hit wonder. He had another minor hit called The Magic Piper of Love, which we won't be uh, covering because it wasn't on the Now album, but that's quite good too. So do check out his other stuff. And by the way, if you've never listened to Orange Juice, who also uh, are known for just one song because they only had one top 40 hit, they had some brilliant other songs as well that never get played on the radio. That's his old band before he went solo. They're brilliant too. Oblong Desk recommends. Now, track three, and we were talking about iconic tracks, 
is common people from pulp. We don't need to talk about how brilliant it is, I don't think. Uh, they still, however, owe me a rendition of common people. From uh, I went to see them in Brixton, um, and it was during the This Is Hardcore period, which was oh, yeah, yeah. a couple of years later. That was the next time. When they, went, when they went really, really dark and heavy in the sound. There yeah, was, I didn't uh, like that stuff, really. Yeah, no. Anyway, so I went to this concert, uh, and literally stuff from the early years, lots of stuff from the later years, and we were all like, he's going to, when they come back on, they're going to do con people. Of course they are. Um, and I think they did uh, Disco 2000 as their encore piece and then went off again. And we're like, oh, so they're going to come back on again and do common people. And no, they just switched the lights on and sent everybody home. And we're like, what? what? And I think I can remember Jarvis being Jarvis going, yeah, oh, I'm really bored of playing con people now. It's like, it's your signature track. You have to play it at all concerts. It's like Kylie has to do um, I Should Be So Lucky in some style, no matter what it is. And she's messed around with it. But, you know, she's got to do it. It's the law. There are some tracks that you that just, you say pulp, and I know they've had a long and glittering career, most of which was toss, apart from this album. Um, but you've got to do common people. Anyway, so the fact that they didn't play it for me in Brixton way back then, uh, that was the reason we're not playing common people now. <laughs> you've got your own... One fun. all, Jarvis. <laughs> yeah. One all. Yes, yes, Jarvis, if you're listening, he he won't be. Um, but uh, I think he's probably changed his opinion now. I think they, they had a big... Uh, reaction against their fame didn't they and that that's probably why the next album was so different um, and perhaps it was just that period of his life I'm, I'm sure uh, I know they're not together anymore anyway as far as I know but I'm sure if he does solo gigs which I think he does he does solo stuff now doesn't he yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure he yeah. must do it in some form I always liked just as a side thing um, the motivate remix of common people it is quite something and uh, I'd just like to point out that I once mixed the acapella version of you crazy cats I think it was by uh, PJ and Duncan over the top of it and it fits perfectly the intro so uh, there's one for all you aspiring club DJs out there um, not that anyone would be playing PJ and Duncan in a club these days I don't think. You never know mate they're, they're, they're national treasures. Well we're trying probably... to make we're, we're trying to make a you know push for how good their old songs are uh, more on that later yeah. uh, Jarvis is a national treasure as well I mean he's done several very very iconic songs this being the peak of it I still love Common People to death it's a yeah, it's superb a good song, yeah. piece of music um, track four mmm Interesting. It is another iconic track. It's Supergrass and All Right. But this one for me has been so hammered to death. And I think the fact it is such an immediate pop song means that you can get bored of it very quickly. And as soon as that jangly piano thing starts now, I kind of like recoil. Um, I think it's because it's a bit monkey and very, very simple pop. And again, another one of those ones that fits really well on a breakfast show, nice and short, nice and punchy and loud, very simple. Um, bless Ashley, though, all killer, no filler so far. And we don't normally say that about no albums. No, and and I'm with you on this one in that um, Edwin Collins and Pulp are just the right side of that kind of uh, dividing line between 
overplayed but okay and overplayed but oh, i really don't want to hear this today uh supergrass does just tip over into that i think um you've got to feel sorry for the double a side track time which no one's ever heard um certainly not at the time and probably never since um i was still at urn when man size rooster came out and i was still ahead of music then and i remember man size rooster which was about two possibly three singles before this one came out and i put it on the cd player to review it i was just absolutely blown away i think man size rooster is an amazing song it's similar in style and the fact that it's quite short to all right uh but it's it's just much more joyous i think and actually because it's not been overplayed um is the better song that's that that was my opinion then i stick to it i think by the time it came to all right because i raved so much about man size rooster i was like yeah but you know that's the better track this is fine and i can see why radio's picked up on it but nah i'd I'd always prefer man size rooster and obviously um some of their later tracks as well to this oh the, the stuff they do later on is way more interesting but we won't spoil that by reviewing it ahead of time but there are some absolutely corking supergrass songs from sort of two or three years in the yeah. future yeah uh yeah it's my celebrity story super supergrass celebrity story is that i was once on a plane back from marrakesh and so was danny goffey and family ah yes is that, is that including traveling. his dad was him off of top gear wasn't he it, no it was it was his um his i presume wife slash partner i haven't investigated the uh, ah. marital nature of that and children um and he was carrying many things including a novelty camel and his um his guitar and heaven knows how much stelios will have charged him for excess baggage on that because uh you know easy jet uh, <laughs> well known for uh for their liking of you to cram everything into the overhead lockers but yes he he, he had his guitar with him so i don't know if they'd been a uh, puffing away on some of Marrakesh's hash pipes. Well, quite possibly. And, uh, Who knows? And, and Who having knows? having a having an old strum round the campfire. But uh, yeah, good stuff. He seemed very happy. I know we've got some other celebrity stories along the way where people have seen people on trains having arguments and um, not being proper celebrities and behaving in a normal, rational manner. But Danny was absolutely fine. Well, that's nice to know. That's always good to hear. Right, should we uh, should we move on to the first, uh, let's say, not quite stellar track on this now album, unless you're going to disagree, which I doubt. Track five is Shaggy featuring Ravon, and in the summertime, I mean, I haven't got much to say about this really. It's a Mungo Jerry cover done in a reggae style in exactly the kind of uh, way you'd expect this to sound, and it's okay for what it is, but you know, I'd I'd gladly not hear it again, to be honest. Well, it wouldn't be a Now album without a reggae cover of an old hit, would it? Um, True. It's in, fa- in fairness, it's a good song originally, and it's a good cover version of it. So you won't find me complaining about it. Um, it does suffer a bit in the hashtag MeToo era uh, with the whole, if her daddy's poor, just do what you feel. But, you know... <laughs> Yeah, like, well, that's yeah, okay. that's uh, that's Ray Dorset. We've got to blame for that, and not either Shaggy yes. or Ravon. So, yeah, okay, fair, fair do. Sh- Shaggy does say ragamuffin in the second rap, in the ultimate way that it's possible to say ragamuffin. So, there you go. If you ever want to hear the ultimate ragamuffin in a lyric, 
then go and find well, there that. We go. Mm. But try and ignore the uh, blatant misogyny. Speaking of um, <laughs> blatant misogyny, here's Aini Kamosi track six. Here comes a hot stepper. I, I didn't really get on with this when it came out, but you know what? It's kind of grown on me because um, lyrically, mm, um, we've got that extraordinary juice like a strawberry a couplet that never fails to raise a smile with me uh, but it's yeah it's put together all right it's nicely produced and he does a decent job of rapping it uh yeah i didn't like it at the time either it was played quite a lot by some of my uh, urn colleagues particularly mr dan mcavoy who absolutely loved it but i i didn't really um it's a bit of a mystery why it's on this now album because it was a number four hit as far back as January, so it should have really been on now 30, but it was held back. Perhaps they couldn't get the rights, um, and it uh, turned up a little bit late. The thing is, though, I can't hear this now without thinking of Reese Shearsmith doing his freestyle version of it on Peter Kay's car share, where he keeps saying things like, I'm the lyrical dance flap, because he doesn't know <laughs> the words. And that that's all I can hear now when I hear this, I'm afraid. And I'd rather hear Reese Shearsmith's version to be honest to track seven then and uh, it's dana dawson three is family which is um it's done well bit janet jackson-y uh, but you know that as, as we discussed with janet jackson's previous song nothing wrong with the pop in that we have to say uh, i i discovered um uh, it was a career that was cut short by cancer when she was only 36 about 10 11 years ago um but this is a a nice song and it's a nice thing to remember her career by yeah, I didn't know that fact. That is um, that is very sad. I mean, the the problem with this is it was um, on commercial radio, as you will know, um, all the time, and it was far too overplayed for the kind of song it is. It, it's like you say, it's perfectly okay, soul stroke pop stuff. Um, it was a big hit, I guess, number nine. So you know, you can see why it got on the radio. Um, it was a pre-release punt by Ashley, so quite high up in the order. It's lucky for him that he got that one right. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't really do much for me. I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. It's just kind of there. Track eight is Jam and Spoon featuring Plavka right in the night brackets, fall in love with music, brackets off, which we looked at on one of the Oblong Desk occasional tables quite recently. So you probably want to hear what we've had to say about it then. Yeah, originally released in 1994. There we go, tick that one off. When it got to number 31, uh, number 10 this time. So, you know, continues the run of big hits at the start of this album. Now then, track nine is East 17 and Hold My Body Tight. The careers of Take That and East 17 have been well documented on uh, Oblong Desk. And for me, they are following two very different trajectories. And this is the start of the decline of East 17. Brian Harvey puts his heart and soul into this, absolutely gives it everything. But you can tell that Tony who, as we've acknowledged, is at least 80% of what makes E17 fantastic. He clearly doesn't give a toss. He's not bothered about R&B at all, or being reduced to, va- to doing the backing vocals with Ken and Ken. And as a result... It's okay for R&B, but it's not okay for E17, I don't think. Yeah, didn't, didn't you go and see them in concert around the time this was out? So this would have been kind of, you would have witnessed the tipping point uh, just before they became rubbish, I guess. Yeah, unfortunately, they were still hammering their back catalogue to death. So um, 
So yeah, yeah I, I found that to be really rather a good concert. And um, they subsequently went a bit. I don't know if they tried to grow up in in the wrong direction and stop being so boisey, but it, it coincided with Tony not really being as front and centre as he was, and it kind of skewed more towards Brian. Yeah. Which was a mistake. A yeah, mistake. I yeah, and I I agree with you. I think this is probably the the turning point. Really, there was an alternative mix of this, which I'm sure we played on Signal. I don't know if you played the slightly more upbeat mix when you were on Hallam, but I, I'm pretty sure we did, and that mix was slightly better. We didn't play Seventy because they were a boy band, and we didn't like boy bands on Hallam unless they were Genesis. Right, yes, I don't think that counts somehow. But for the audience, yes, probably. Um, Well, it was their smallest hit for a while, so it would seem that the record-buying public agreed with me and you, and he got to number 12. Now, the, the thing... The thing I have with this being on here, you can see why they've got E17 on here, but they could have picked Let It Rain, which was the single before and was eligible for this now album because it hadn't been on the previous one. And Let It Rain is a bigger hit and a better song. So I think Ashley's picked the wrong one here. Oh, he definitely has. By a million miles. Uh, Yes. We're uh, We're in Boy Band Central now on Now 31 as we move on to Boy Zone. And the key to my life which is safe, saccharine, and so sickly that it makes me want to punch them all again, just like I did on the last album. Except, though, for Shane Lynch. I'll tell you why. Because Shane Lynch, his birthday is the same day as mine. And also, I don't know if you've ever seen Scrapyard Supercar on, uh, I think it's on Dave or something like that. It's a quality program. So, Shane, you're okay. The rest of you can do one, and especially you, Ronan. (laughs) <laughs> well, I've got a confession to make. I didn't mind this when it came out. I thought it was better than the previous one. And God knows, it's about a thousand times better than So Good, which was the single after it, which sounded dated at the time. And it uh, just sounds utterly appalling now. So in the grand scheme of things, from the early singles, this is the best one. Um, there we go. Confession over. Mate. Sorry. I'm not saying yes. it's. I'm not saying it's a work of art. Of course, it isn't. But it, out of the first three singles, I think it's by far the best. I know it's a fairly low bar, but uh, there you go. It's a, it's a bar that's buried under some horrible poo in a field somewhere. <laughs> Underground limbo. Um, yeah. Yes, much better singers. Because well, the thing I don't like about Boyzone is they can't sing, and you certainly can't say that about Seal who is track 11, and another iconic track, it's Kiss from a Rose. If I say Seal, people are either going to say Killer or Kiss from a Rose. And there's no mistaking the vocal prowess that lifts this. Um, I think in many other singers' hands, this would be plodding and soporific, uh, but he's a fantastic performer and he makes this effortlessly. Fantastic, in my humble. I agree with the fact that he's a fantastic singer i've seen him live uh he was supporting uh, one of the concerts i went to and he was uh, i was surprised how good he was actually this was quite recently so this wasn't in his heyday uh when when i saw him but he was great um kiss from a rose has always bored me i'm afraid it's just i, I don't know why i've just never really got on with it uh, do you know what it was originally released in 1994 um, when it got to number 20, you know why it was re-released, don't you? It was in Batman It was Forever. in a film, wasn't it? Yeah, Batman, Batman yes. Forever. Um, number four, second time around, so another huge hit. Um, but yeah, just one I've never really liked for whatever reason. But, you know, I, I acknowledge it's a perfectly fine song, sung very well. 
Why was it re-released? Because he's Batman. Yes. That has to be done, I feel. Or my children will never forgive me if I leave <laughs> a Batman reference like that. Uh, track 12, another quality singer. Kirsty McColl and Days. Uh, Kinks did some of my favourite ever 60s songs. And for me, Ray Davies is at least as good as, if not better than Lennon and McCartney when it comes to songwriting. There, I've said it. Uh, Kirsty McColl's one of my favourite singers and has the unique talent of making Billy Bragg songs sound fantastic, <laughs> uh, a feat that Billy Bragg can't achieve. Um, so it will come as no shock to anyone that I think this is, uh, whilst being a fairly straight cover, it's utterly awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's never been one of my favourite ones of her songs, to be honest. I, I don't know if it's because it's a cover, because let's, let's face it, uh, she's done other covers as well that have been perfectly fine. Um, I... Uh, yeah, it's it's okay. It's I, I've got mixed feelings about this one. I think I liked it more first time round. It had been on now fifteen back in nineteen eighty nine. So, I think I I'm right in saying this was the first song to appear on two main now albums in the same form. So no remixes or you know anything like that. Um, it got to number twelve the first time. Astonishingly given the uh, other songs that you'll uh, hear us talk about later that aren't particularly great, um, this is the only non-hit on this album because the reissue got to number 42 and uh, it was reissued to tie in with the greatest hits. Um, But you can absolutely see why Ashley would have assumed that it would be a hit second time around because I was surprised when I checked the chart books that it, it didn't make the top 40 on this occasion. People are wrong sometimes, aren't they? Yeah. Hey, we've talked and talked and talked and not played, so let's change all that. Let's have a bit of track 13. And uh, it's uh, something a bit different from the Human League. One Man in My Heart. Oh, should I lie so you can cry in your It's Oblong Desk. John and I are reviewing now 31. We've got to track 13. You just heard some of that. It was the Human League with One Man in My Heart and a rare example of the ladies taking the lead vocal on a Human League track. Certainly didn't happen very often. I saw them in concert um, a couple of years back and I think they only probably took the lead on two tracks. I can't remember the other one. might have been an album track or a more recent song, I think. But um, they did it very well live and uh, I've always rather liked this song. It's a little bit... um, bordering on the twee i suppose in places the way it's arranged i i prefer the choruses where phil joins in because i just think it it sounds a little bit less twee and a little bit more kind of meaty i suppose and that's not because of his presence it's just the backing beefs up a bit i would concur with the fact that phil oakey backing things rather than taking lead vocals is a jolly good idea i've never really got on with his voice and i always want to like the human league and i go back and i listen to quite a lot of their songs and i go i don't really like that as much as i thought it is it's a very weird thing where you have this memory of being oh yeah i like the human league and you go back and listen and i, and I go back and listen i know lots of people don't but i go back and i go actually i don't like the way i don't like the way his voice is produced and i don't particularly like his voice i've discovered um but susan sully on lead vocals well hey 
that's the answer to the question. What will make the human league brilliant? Um, I really, really loved this. I loved it at the time. I'd completely forgotten about it. And I go, oh, yeah, I remember absolutely joyfully loving this. I even went and bought it right now. I bought the single off of the internet. Such was my uh, surprise and joy at it. It's, it's uplifting, it's classy, and it's thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I do like The Human League with Phil Oakey on vocals as well. I think they're fantastic. They're one of my favourite bands. Um, and this one just, yeah, it's it's one of those that has been forgotten about somewhat, I think. If you listen to the next single that came from the Octopus album, you'll probably be less enamoured of it, I imagine. Have you ever heard Filling Up With Heaven? Do you remember that? It's basically what happens when you do an impression of Vince Clark on one of his let's press every button at once on the keyboard type days. It's it's a bit mad. Yeah. Not I a big don't know. I don't know that I'd want to be in a room with Vince Clark when he's in one of those moods. Although his birthday's on the same day as mine and Shane Lynch's as well. It's Celebrity Birthdays on Oblong Desk. <laughs> Which pop stars share your birthday? There's a bit of research for you to do, and perhaps let us know. At the Oblong Desk on Facebook or Twitter, or Oblong Desk on Snapchat for that. Although, uh, don't expect any birthday shout-outs, this isn't Radio 2. Coming up, massive controversy. I don't think there's a track that's divided us so deeply, certainly in the history of Oblong Desk, or indeed the nearly 30 years that we've known each other. Another award-winning impression. We really are having a lot of fun. Plus all the regulars, the Warnock Award, the artists that appear now where else, except for now 31, and Look What You Could Have Won, where we try and choose a few tracks that would have been better. That's all coming up after we take a very dark trip down to Bristol, is Portishead, Sour Times. just heard a snippet of track 14 on disc one of now 31 it was the wonderful Portishead and Sour Times we wouldn't usually play uh, the same band uh, two now albums in a row but uh, I think we did with the Human League actually didn't we thinking about it but with Portishead we've we've not got much choice because this is the last time they turned up so uh, you've heard both the songs that appeared on now albums this is very film noir isn't it this um, second number 13 hit in a row for them guess what originally released in 1994 when it got to number 57 so after glory box was a hit they reissued it and thankfully second time around it was quite rightly a fairly sizable hit i still love it yeah it's like if the godfather was done in bristol and then you get don corneoli being played by like one of the wurzels or pat roach off of uh, alfie's own pet and you get or, or you get tricky coming in the background with his speaking voice rather than his singing voice which is very very different if you've ever heard tricky speak you're like oh all right, hello all right <laughs> <laughs> N- yes. not at all like he sounds on the record so yeah something is, that like- or- is that horse's head in your bed <laughs> uh yes and some other quotes from The Godfather, which you can doubtless do to your own content <laughs> listener. We won't fill this edition with those. Yeah, it's downbeat, it's filmic, it's very, very quality indeed. 
um, I think it's quite fitting that we've played both of their songs. They should have done more. Well, they did, but they just didn't appear on now albums. Uh, the second album they did was all right, and then after that it kind of, yeah, went a bit downhill, sadly. On to track 15, then, and Ugh. we're back with Oasis. Uh, they are making regular appearances now. Uh, Some Might Say is the one that we've got to review this time. I think we both agreed that this isn't Oasis's best, aren't we? I hate it. I think it's my... Uh, no, cigarettes and alcohol is my least favourite. This would be next in line, I think. I I just find it really dull, plodding rock. It's our first number one. Now, that's quite surprising, isn't it, that we've got to track 15 before we've got a number one hit on here. But then again, maybe Ashley doesn't like it either because he's put it quite low in the running order, quite rightly, I would say. I think it's terrible. It's in the traditional rock session. I don't hate Oasis and I don't hate this quite as much as you, but it is uniformly loud and shouty all the way through. There's no, no dynamism in it. It's easy to thrash along to the on the guitar, though, without having much skill, and I don't have much skill, so I think that's why I quite like Oasis, because okay. they're very, very simple to play along to. And you can't ruin the track, because there's not much there to ruin. <laughs> I like it more than track 16, though which is Weezer's Buddy Holly, which I really quite detest. Uh, it's, it's like American college rock and not very good. And how it was such a massive radio hit is a mystery. Well, it's the video, isn't it, I think? It's the, it's the quite good for its time, Happy Days style video that made it, I think, because they, they'd only had minor hits before. I mean, they, they were writing things like Undone, the sweater song, in brackets. I mean, that kind of thing just shouldn't be allowed anywhere near the charts because it's just terrible writing. This is OK. I, I don't hate it like you do. I still think it's all right. It was probably vastly overrated for what it was at the time, though. You can see why it's on a Now album. It, it, was, a, it was a big deal at the time. Um, I doubt if uh, the kids of today would have much time for it, though. No, certainly not. Uh, Delametria track 17, an up-tempo Delametri song. It's the up-tempo Scots album, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, it we've is. We've had Wet, Wet, Wet track. And, uh, and the main thing I remember from this and playing it at the time was how short it was. By the time you queued up the next track and sort it, you know, you had to actually, actually still put CDs in CD players at this time. Digital playout systems were just about making their entry into the world of radio but by the time you queued up the next track sorted out what you were going to say it was over so i never really heard it much at the time i heard like the <laughs> sort of first three seconds of it and then the final roll to me um it's okay but actually for me delamitri were always better doing the slow miserable stuff yeah, I I quite like it. I mean, it's uh, it was quite useful, wasn't it? Being about two minutes just over that long, if yep. you needed one of those nice breaks into the news where you'd accidentally messed around with your timing, and yeah, you just needed a short song. It, it had its uses. Um, it was also a bit confusing because um, it had different things going on in the left and right speakers. Something that hadn't generally happened since the 60s um or early 70s possibly um so yeah a bit bit of a novelty in that respect only number 22 you'd think it would have got higher than that wouldn't you because it was certainly played a lot at the time i i kind of like it to be honest um i still i still think it's a decent poppy track yeah yeah and the reason it was played so much at the time was because djs like us were generally terrible at doing our timing <laughs> well, so mate, something would always yourself. go wrong <laughs> Okay, let's play something else. Let's play uh, a really quite quality track. We mentioned in track one, the Wet 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 track, about how uh, the fans all shout, 
Easy, easy, easy. Well, here's another one with a, uh, a chant to join in with. Uh, it's EMF, Reeves and Mortimer. I'm a believer. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Not a trace. A doubt in my mind. I'm in love. I'm a believer. I can leave her if I try. I thought love was more or less a giving thing. But the more I That's track 18 on disc one of Now 31, EMF with Reeves and Mortimer, and I'm a believer. Now, I suppose the first question is, is it better than the original by the Monkees, and is it better than the beloved version and URN by the Pop and Jays? Do you remember that? I certainly do. That was a quality track. Uh, is it better? I, uh, I tell you what, I can't hear the Monkees original now without adding... Oi! Yeah. So I'm sure I'm not alone in that either. No. I, I, th- I think you either understand why Vic and Bob are comedy geniuses or you don't. And people who don't are just wrong. We mentioned on the Ruby Tracks oblong desk where there was Vic, EMF, and I'm a believer all appearing separately that this was on the horizon. Now it's here. Let's. I think we should enjoy how marvellous it is, especially uh, the Bob Mortimer bit where he goes, I'm in love. Mm. <laughs> yes, Bob, Bob in such Mortimer a makes everything and better, way. Yeah, but Bob just he makes does, everything yes. better. I mean, I I actually wasn't a huge Reeves and Mortimer fan at, uh, at the time. I only kind of took to them later on in the nineties when they did that series on BBC One, the name of which I can't remember. Um, they only did one series uh, of this, whatever the title was. I really liked that series. Um, nobody else seemed to. Everyone else was going like, oh, this isn't a patch on, you know, Big Night Out or Well, to me, that was where I kind of got in on uh, Reeves and Mortimer. So I have a soft spot for that series. Was that the smell of Reeves and Mortimer? I think it might have been, yes, yeah. And I particularly like the sketches in the club and the we really are having a lot of fun uh, <laughs> bits as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that that was my kind of routine. But then, having said that, I always quite like this song. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't get overly excited about it, but for what it is, it's perfectly fine. I think we ought to remember that uh, EMF do quite a good job on this because their Ruby Tracks effort was abysmal. That was Shut Up Your Face, which they ruined. Oh, God, uh, yeah. If it's possible to ruin it, yeah. But yeah, they do a really good musical job on this. They play around with the comedy stylings in, in a similar way as well and match the the madness that is going on in front of their eyes, I think, really quite well. Hmm. Hey, track 19's another cover. <laughs> Is it another comedy song, though? <laughs> that depends on your point of view. Well, let's see, shall we? It's Duran Duran featuring Melly Mel and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five uh, with white lines. Brackets, don't do it. Yeah. Uh, now, this was regarded as a complete joke at the time. So they'd done a covers album. Perfect Day had come out and everyone said, oh, that's quite nice, isn't it? This was before the famous... BBC version of Perfect Day with all the celebrity pop stars in it. I always found Duran Duran's Perfect Day to be a bit kind of bland, to be honest, but I've never been a big fan of that song anyway. This was totally different. So they've completely turned this into a rock song. There's huge guitars all over it, but there are still um, 
elements of the original rap version in there as well. It got to number 17, which doesn't sound much, but it was their last top 20 hit until 2004, so it was a reasonably big hit. They were regulars on the Now album, so it was always quite likely to be on here. And uh, again, a band I saw in concert a few years ago, and when they played this live, it was absolutely awesome. So I didn't like it at the time, but I've got a new respect for it now. I've let you talk about it at some length because I honestly, honestly don't know what to do with this one. There's bits of it that I really like, and I, the slightly glossier production, the um, the mental guitar-y, rocky bits, uh, and some of the vocal stylings of Mr. Le Bon are all fantastic. But I'll tell you what doesn't work at all, and that's the bit where he attempts to kind of sing the rap. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, that, that isn't good. No, that is the worst bit. Mm. And I think maybe the original message of the song, you know, the drugs are bad, okay, uh, that gets slightly lost in this version. Yeah, um, I don't know. Perhaps. Maybe I mean, I, maybe I'd be less critical of it if I was off my tits, which would be <laughs> ironic. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose the one thing you can say about it is the original artist turned up to take part in it and clearly didn't regard it as a as big a joke as everyone else did or they wouldn't have turned up and put their name to it uh, the same can't be said for uh, their cover of Public Enemies 911 is a joke which really is in every way utterly risible so uh, compared to that this is like a masterpiece yeah and when they've done their uh, Ordinary World from a few albums ago there is no need to go down the rap route Duran Duran you're very good at other things Let's just leave That's it there, them put we? to rights. Yes, yes. I'll tell you what, though, it's still better than track 20, which is how we round off disc one. Um, and Jimmy Somerville's Hurt So Good. I think I'd rather have Ian Hislop singing this just to see what it sounded like. This didn't need doing at all. It's very dull. Yeah, I mean, if you're not aware, it was originally a hit for Susan Cadogan in the 70s. And uh, it's very similar, this version. There's nothing much to say about it, really. I preferred his previous single, Heartbeat, which wasn't a cover uh, of any of the other many other songs called Heartbeat. It was an original. Um, but that wasn't a bigger hit. Uh, this was... This was a, a bigger hit, so it was always likely to get on here. Um, it's a yeah, particularly boring way to end the disc. Very skippable. We shall then. We shall skip on to disc two, the dance disc, traditionally. And um, it starts with a big one, the Out Here Brothers, and boom, boom, boom. Let me hear you say wayo. Or mayo, depending on your preference, yeah. Um, it's our second number one hit, and just like the first... It's utter tosh. So that's all I've got to say about this. I hate it. Yeah, it's not bad. It is, you know, though. in a kind, <laughs> no, in a kind of, in a kind of lobbied on and dancer. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't want to play it at anything sophisticated, but it, it has got a little bit of a longevity just because people will shout along to it. Yeah. It doesn't make people right, but you know that yeah. that's in its favour. People, you know, can you can throw this on now, and if you go boom, 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 people will go way over back at you. Still yeah, to this day. I suppose. So I you suppose. know, kind of like Wigfield, but not as much. Um, I'll tell you what, though, it's a hundred times better than track two, which uh, is receiving our Warnock for now. Thirty-one. Well done, M and Eight. Um, I've got a little something for you, and I'll give you just three seconds to convince me that this doesn't deserve to have the Warnock. Nope, didn't think so. It's nasty vocals, it's an awful sentiment, and it's got kind of like a horrible playground bully vibe. You can imagine like some nasty 
kids coming up to you and it feels like that all the way through it yuck don't like it yeah we, we, we totally agreed on this one it is it is a kind of nasty sound to it it's it's almost as if they were trying to position them as i i don't know um a kind of not a boy band but a kind of hardcore r&b act and it just doesn't sit right at all um the follow-up you you may remember the follow-up was called if you only let me in was very poppy not as quite as big a hit because uh this one got to number two and if you only let me in got it made top 10 but it wasn't as big a hit i thought that was a much better track poppy decent um shame it didn't get on here instead of this really um but everything else they did afterwards was kind of standard boy band stuff and not like this. Do you remember Tough Act to Follow? Probably not, because it wasn't a big hit. I like that. And that, no, was, I... that was poppy too. This this is kind of the outlier for them, really, in that it's, you know, the, the biggest hit, but probably the worst thing they ever did. Uh, slightly less horrible, but very similar, is uh, track three, Montel Jordan, and This Is How We Do It, which, again, has that kind of... Chorus. There's a lot of that going on. I'm not a fan of this. Yeah, it it turns up regularly on adverts. I don't know if you spotted. It's currently on one with the the child picking up the pound coin from the supermarket trolley and wandering around as if she's a genius in collecting money. It's for a bank. I forget which one. Um, I don't. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I don't. I remember that one. Yeah. And, and even if I could remember, I wouldn't say because it's frankly annoying. Um, and it it turns up on adverts and occasionally on the radio still a lot more than it should do for a number 11 single that was just kind of fairly throwaway at the time the really weird thing is i heard one of his other songs i don't think it was from this period i think it was from a little bit later i really liked it i don't know where i heard it even probably on one of the mixed cloud shows i was listening to or something and uh, so he did do something later that was excellent can i remember what it was called no, so I can't even tell you which one it was. But he did do something good once that we won't ever review because it wouldn't have been on the Now album. Well done, Montel. Hats off to you. Shoot Me With Your Love, Loveland's seven-inch popped-up mix is uh, track four, and that's by D-Ream. Yeah, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I like D-Ream, uh, particularly the stuff off the first album. This was the, the first track off the second album, and I remember thinking... That's not a good start. It's just a little bit more of the same, really, and it hasn't really got anything significantly new for it to stand out, I don't think. No, I mean, I, I literally had nothing to say about it, and that's very rare for me. I said, well, that exists. Difficult second album territory. Yeah. Right, it's time for us to do something very rare on Oblong Desk now. Um, it's a track that I think diametrically splits us more than probably any other track in the history of music so let's play a bit of it and then we'll tell you who likes it and who doesn't it's baby d and i need your loving brackets everybody's got to learn sometime brackets off
it's Oblong Desk. We are reviewing now 31 and we've got to disc two, track five. You just heard some of that. I refuse to do the bit in brackets. It's I Need Your Loving by Baby D and that will uh, tell you exactly all you need to know about who likes this and who doesn't, John. Yes. Uh, As I say, I don't think there's a track that's divided us so deeply, certainly in the history of Oblong Desk or indeed the nearly 30 years that we've known each other. So, so thanks for letting me play it, first of all. Uh, and so here goes with the case for the defence. Baby D, or D Galdis Fearon, wife of Phil Fearon of Galaxy fame, she does an incredible job on the vocals. I don't think you can fault the vocal performance. The song itself, as I'm sure you are about to discuss, is a classic song. I think, and I think this is where we're going to disagree, I think the break beats really work on it because they lend themselves to lo-fi songs generally i will concede that it would work equally well without the rap in it but here's the thing there's a whole generation of clubbers who were made aware of the song thanks to this version and have done ever since because it's remained a big thing in the clubs and i put it to you that the more people who are aware of this song the better in whatever form. Well, okay, but how many people are actually going to go and seek out the Corgis original of Everybody's Got to Learn Sometime, which is a magnificently produced song? I, I concede the vocals on this are okay. I just don't like what they've done with it at all. And the thing is, it's not the only version of this song that's been done in a dance style. There's another one and future Now albums to come. So there's something to look forward to, for you probably more than me. Um, I just think all dance cover versions of this song are just sacrilege, frankly. I I don't like any of them. There, There are two songs that are forever being done in dance form. There's this and there's Forever Young by Alphaville and uh, neither of them stand up for, for me in dance form. I don't know why, they just don't. There you go, listener. It's one of those rare occasions where we absolutely disagree 100%. And so, therefore, we're going to have to throw it over to you at the Oblong Desk on Facebook and Twitter to tell us who's right. We might even do a poll on Facebook. Do we do that? We have done once or twice in the past. I might, I might do another one. Okay. Yes. Should this exist or not. Anyway, I'm really glad it does and Noakes isn't. So... We'll leave it there. We'll move on and play something else that I think we're a little more agreed upon. Track six is Ginny and Keep Warm. Six on disc two of now 31 here on oblong desk it's keep warm from Ginny, and that was originally released in 1991 ha fooled you there oh. didn't i fooled you there um yeah it was originally out then it stalled at number 68 there's a reason for that the original version's a bit kind of if the production's not great it's a bit too sparse this is one case where the remix actually does it a great deal of credit and this version got to oh, number another number 11 hit like montel jordan but not because it's good yeah you can't beat a bit of throwback italo house piano can you mate uh, it ticks all my dance boxes it's got uh, yeah quality chorus 
it's danceable too it's the right speed it's well produced yep job done couldn't agree more top italo dance action um as is the next one kind of which is dreamer by living joy that's track seven originally released in 1994 yes another one uh number 18 then as discussed previously on one of our now dance excursions top the chart this time only for a week but um supposedly it was remixed i i'm not convinced it sounds the same as the 1994 version to me always did i went out and bought it so that shows you how much i love it but we've already talked about it i guess haven't we so uh shall we move on to track eight yeah i'll just throw in that i never liked it no i never i can see why i can see why it was massive but it's all a bit shouty and dance hit by numbers for me yeah track eight wigfield think of you i put in a spirited defense of saturday night you'll remember that from a previous desk um however there is no need in my humble for those elements to be rehashed in a slightly different order sorry wigfield this doesn't cut it and there's a reason why people don't play this to this day yeah, I mean, it's her third top ten hit in a row. If you ask people how many top ten hits she had, I think most people would just say one. The problem is, as you just alluded to, they're all kind of versions of the same song, and this is, like, really badly diluted lemon squash, and it's the kind of dregs. And now we're down to <clears throat> practically water levels of quality. So uh, on that note... oh. Track nine. <laughs> I've just seen what track <laughs> nine is. Yes. The quality doesn't improve, does it? Wumpf. There it is, in brackets, by Clock. Yeah, Clock are the answer to who's the next two Unlimited, which I would argue was a question that didn't need asking. Not even seeing them at that CFM roadshow that, that you were part of overlooking Sellerfield helps me to feel any more fondly towards them, I'm afraid. No. I mean, it's, it's another cover. We've had a few covers on here, haven't we? So this is a cover of uh, the Tag Team song, which was a real rap uh, version the original much bigger hit in america than here so uh, this weirdly is the version that people will know i guess in the uk more than the original which is strange but there you go uh track 10 we've got not a cover but a remix again doesn't say remix on the uh sleeve of the now album weirdly but it is uh bobby brown and humping around the reading the title is always much more amusing than actually listening to it what i will say is that uh, this k-class remix i I think is much better than the original uh the original came from 1992 in this case and i think um i think most people just kind of forgot that existed it was not in his big hit period either at this point or uh in the uh late 80s so uh, the original version of humping around may as well not exist this one's better what i will say though is we really didn't need another couple of remixes of old hits after this one and that's what we got we didn't need that no, I mean I, I don't think you can argue with this one myself. Uh, I think it's, no, it's a, good a high remix. quality effort. Uh, it's it's very similar sound wise to what the Jacksons of Michael and Janet were churning out around this time, um, and it's what Bobby Brown did best: silly-ish lyrics delivered with a hundred percent commitment. And for me, it's still quite listenable to. Yeah, I think it's all right. It's a perfectly fine remix. Yeah. Track 11, then. Let's move on to that. PJ and Duncan. Hooray! And Stuck on You. I, I think the best thing... I, I've coined a new term. Well, maybe I have. Right. Newcastle Jack Swing. <laughs> That's very good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the best thing about this is the line, like a dog on a lead, I'm going to follow you everywhere, <laughs> which I hope and suspect Ant did with a knowing smirk. I think so, because Ant's also the one who utters the line, then again, like... 
isn't it? I think towards the end, that's Ant. I think. Yeah. Uh, there, there's some good yeah. stuff in this. It, it is very much like a, a Geordie version of Bobby Brown for all that entails. It's uh, it's another actually pre-release punt. Uh, got to number twelve. This should have been top ten. I reckon. I think this is one of the finer efforts. I would say. It's it's not bad at all, and it's funny as well. They're doing it for giggles. Have we got much more of PJ and Duncan before they rebrand themselves in a Prince Styley? Uh, not too much. And I think after 95, they start appearing on the Hits albums more than they appear on the Nows. So they kind of switch switch right, products. Right. Yeah. It's time for some Eurovision. We don't do enough Eurovision on Oblong Desk, and maybe we will later on this year. Who can tell? Uh, but for now... Let's hear the United Kingdom's 1995 entry, Love City Groove, by Love City Groove. Two hearts, two minds, two people, one love, and the way you make me feel just like a sin from up above. Your touch, your smell, your face, a unique breed. It's only love, but it's all that I need. In the morning, when the sun shines. It's Oblong Desk. We are reviewing now 31. That was track 12 on disc 2, Love City Groove by Love City Groove. And uh, another one where we have a difference of opinion. I always thought this was nonky in the extreme and uh, not worthy of being put forward to Eurovision. More on that later. I won't rant on about that yet because that, that's still to come. Um, I don't hate it as much as I did then. That, that's as much as I can say in its favour. Okie dokie. So it's up to me, then, is it, to fly the flag? Yes. Uh, One of the few times in Eurovision history, I think, where the UK has genuinely sent a piece of music that represents what was going on in the UK mainstream music industry. So we sent some quality R&B rap. And I'll tell you another thing about this that, that I want to defend it for. Because, yeah, it's not the greatest it's a really good summary song i still stick it on in the car on a summer's day i think it's got a really nice vibe i do agree the rap's a bit nonky sometimes but i'll tell you this the performance the actual performance on eurovision again a rarity is better i think than the than the the recorded track i think they did a really good job actually performing it on the night it's available on youtube if you want to go and have a a watch of them they did it really well and probably deserved to finish higher than they did so one bravery for actually sending some credible music to eurovision and two they did us proud uh, with the material well, they were given so I, there I, you go that's I'm That's what gonna, I think. I'm going to disagree on the credible point. I think PJ and Duncan would have probably been more credible, if anything, uh, than, than this bunch of chances. Um, I do vaguely recall watching it um, on Eurovision on the night, and I think you're right. I, th- I think I recall being quite pleasantly surprised that they'd done at least a good job of it on the night, which is more than can be said for many other performers of better songs. But I still think it was the wrong choice for Eurovision. Uh, more on that anon. Yes. Here's another song that gets performed in arenas. I am clutching at straws here for a link, but that'll have to do. <laughs> Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, 
which has some cultural issues attached to it these days, doesn't it? Uh, back then, it was okay. And Ladysmith Black Bambazo featuring China Black, uh, they were singing it on track 13. Um, I think it's a really stirring anthem, whatever its cultural appropriation. Um, and I speak here as a committed non-egg chaser. You know, rugby for me is just 15 posh chaps sticking their heads up each other's bombs. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, whatever floats your boat. Uh, anyway, um, what removes all of the passion and the intensity of it being belted out by the Twickenham crowd is sticking a swing beat behind it and having China Black's paper-thin vocals wailing through it ruins it. Yeah, it's not the best, is it? Um, it's not the last appearance of Swing Low Sweet Chariot on Now albums either. If you think this is bad, uh, well, if we ever get to the mid-2000s, then uh, we've got a treat in store there. Um, it's actually Lady Smith Black Mambazo's first chart credit ever, this, which, considering that they'd been on Paul Simon's Graceland album and uh, probably several adverts by this time, at least, uh, is something to credit this for. As you say, China Black's contribution isn't great. It, uh, it was their last chart credit, so they were on the way out. Lady Smith, Black Mambazo, belatedly getting their first appearance. Curiously, the same week this version was released, um, Lady Smith, Black Mambazo were also on a different version of uh, this track i mean it was world in union 95 so it wasn't you know, it wasn't quite the same but to be on two different rugby anthems in the same week uh is quite something uh that that world in union 95 only got to number 47 though and uh, they were on that with someone called pj powers who sounds like a, a kind of late night dance dj on a saturday night on commercial radio to me but there you go maybe he was Track 14 is Soul to Soul's Love Enough. They've spelt that bizarrely. Um, do you think actually we'd have been more successful DJs if we'd stood behind the desk and just nodded in time with the music while somebody else did the heavy lifting? Maybe. You know, in a, in a jazzy B style Um Penny Ford, in this case, is doing the uh, rather fine job of lifting a fairly standard Soul to Soul backing track to well above average. Yeah, and Penny Ford, of course, was um, formerly of Snap, wasn't she? She was the one who didn't get the credit on singing a lot of their earlier songs, as was the case in a lot of early 90s dance tracks. Um, but yeah, I think she does a good job here. It's got a slightly different sound to their earlier hits, hasn't it? It's got a kind of Indian vibe to it, really. Uh, another pre-release track and another quite big hit so Ashley was doing quite well for these on this album generally speaking um I quite like it you're not going to hear it very often but it's um you know passes the time it's a nice nice little track that's been forgotten I would say uh, the next one probably only really works around quarter to midnight in a club it's Junior Vasquez and get your hands off my man um, I'm ready, very, very rarely in those situations, lockdown or not. It's a very simple concept, I think, this one. One sample, one chord, one drum beat. Yeah. The, only poten- yeah, the only potentially interesting bit of it is when it slows down in the middle. But even that turns out to be kind of less interesting than you'd hope. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty awful stuff. I'm I'm surprised it got on here, really. It was uh, only a number 22 hit. And uh, If Madonna Calls was his next release the following year. That was even worse. Such a big head, honestly. <laughs> no, I, I, I really, really don't like this. And while there are many good dance tracks um, on this, what is actually really a completely 100% dance stroke R&B, I suppose, uh, disc is probably the worst thing on here, I would say, on this disc. 
yeah, I think you're possibly right. Apart from Emanate, as previously discussed. Um, yes. But it is one of the artists who are now where else? Sorry, did you, did you, want, did you want me to intro that in a slightly more yeah, exciting on, way? On, yeah, you do that. You do that. Go <laughs> I on, will mate. do. Yeah, Junior Vasquez uh, is one of those artists that only appears on Now 31, and there are others too which Noakes will now furnish you with. Yes, indeed. These are our Now Where Else artists. They didn't appear on any other main Now albums. They may have appeared on Dance Ones or such like. So, uh, in order, Edwin Collins, Innie Camose, Dana Dawson, Jam and Spoon, Delamitri, surprisingly, uh, Emanate, Ginny, Love City Groove, Junior Vasquez, as discussed, Shiva, Billy Ray Martin, though, Electribe 101, her previous band were on, and uh, Hyperlogic. So that's 12. Not a massive amount, actually, this time. Three of those are one-hit wonders, so would never have been on another Now album. Fair dues. And as you say, I think the only real surprise there is probably Delamitri. Yeah. Because uh, they had some other sizable tracks. They did. That, uh, that, that you would have expected to have turned up. So, yeah, good to have them along, even if only for this one particular ride. Uh, Shiva is track 16. Um, the first 10 seconds of Freedom, Shiva takes us through all the vowel sounds. You should have a listen to that. And go, she, she manages E's, I's, A's. It all turns a bit strange. Sadly, when the consonants join in, it becomes fairly forgettable almost instantly. And it's a slightly passe attempt at a dance anthem that, for me, doesn't quite come together. Yeah, I think it's OK. It's one of those middling ones. It's certainly not top draw. This has a sad story associated with it, though, probably even more so than Dana Dawson, actually. So the singer with Shiva was a lady called Louise Dean. And uh, sadly, she died in a road accident before this was even released. So they'd had one minor hit before this. Um, and then this was their bigger hit of the two. It got to number 18. Um, Ashley mentions this in the booklet and actually says that this is on here. Uh, as a pre-release track, uh, more or less as a tribute. So, you know, fair enough. I think that's a nice thing to do. And it sits well enough with the other tracks on this disc that it's not completely out of place. Yeah, I think that is a nice thing to do. So um, some small AAA yes, yes, for having a conscience. Let's play something now, shall we? Um, we've got a couple more tracks to play you off of this disc, and we're getting quite near the end, so that doesn't always happen. But here's one that's particularly fine. Billy Ray Martin and Your Loving Arms. Track 17 on disc 2 of Now 31, which John and I are reviewing on this edition of Oblong Desk. It's my friend, Billy Ray Martin, and your loving arms. I should stress she's only my friend in a social media sense. I'm friends with her on... Your close personal showbiz job. Yes, close personal celebrity friend of mine. Um, Yeah, I'm friends with her on Facebook and Twitter. And actually, 
She's very good at interacting with her fans. She does, you know, use social media in a good way. This only got to number 38 in, yes, 1994. Um, and then it was reissued and happily, second time round, got to number six, Cause It's Great. And the album it comes from uh, has also got a few other good songs on it as well. Running Around Town is a particular favourite of mine, uh, which started life as an Electribe 101 song, in fact not my personal showbiz chum but it is her vocal that makes this for me it's driven but controlled i think it's an altogether classy track yeah it, it's um, stood the test of time you still hear it occasionally on uh, radio stations now actually so that's that's a good thing anything that gets her vocal on the airwaves is fine by me and the good news if you're a fan as i am of her band electribe 101 is that apparently judging by uh, some of the stuff she said this year um we will be getting uh, a long-awaited reissue of some of their material soon which previously has been held up in rights nightmares so it seems like that's um, going to be forthcoming and I can't bloody wait frankly excellent excellent and our final track that we're going to play you at least is coming up right now on Oblong Desk and um, we've already played you some Eurovision let's play you one that could also have made it under different circumstances uh, track 18 is Juice and I Need You by Deuce's track 18 on disc 2 of Now 31 and uh, here's the bit where I say we was robbed. So this was the year when A Song for Europe was relaunched as a huge um, I think it was a Wednesday night. It was a huge big deal prime time show. I don't know if you remember this they got about 8 different acts to perform and then there was a live vote and there'd been years and years of um, the Eurovision selection team, I don't know what you what they're officially called, picking either the artists or the songs or both and just saying, right, here's your choice. Um, and there wasn't much of a choice. But we got a good selection of um, bands and artists this time. London Beat put forward an entry which was pretty dreadful called I'm Just Your Puppet on a String, blatantly designed to cash in on the fact that there'd already been a Eurovision hit uh, and winner called Puppet on a String. And there were some other kind of indie bands in it that were kind of doing vaguely generic guitar rock. I think I Need You by Juice was by far the best song in that Song for Europe contest and would have done better than Love City Groove had it been in the contest. I'm not saying it would have won, because I don't think it would have done. I think those days of pop tracks like that winning had long gone. But I think it would have been a better option. Uh, It was at least the band's biggest hit, got to number 10. Yeah, Primark Steps. They're back with a thumping (laughs) disco pop effort. Um, It does, you're right, it does feel way more Eurovision than the song we actually sent. But uh, as I've said before, I applaud the UK for trying something different. I think that the reason this wouldn't have won is that you can hear in the single, you can hear the auto-tuning all the way through this. And had it got to the 
finals had it represented us it would have been another samantha janus incident they can't sing live i'm afraid um yeah i'm trying to think if i've ever heard them actually live i mean i did go to see in in the bonkers days where they did the uh top 40 chart live <laughs> they t- t- trawled it as a roadshow <laughs> around the country and did it live which is just the most bizarre thing but obviously being a huge chart fan i had to go so i did see a goodier one in 1996 when uh their last single actually which the name of which has completely escaped me it wasn't a big hit um was performed live but i'm th- i'm 99 certain they weren't singing live i think they were just miming i think nearly everybody was miming that day so yeah you're probably right actually they probably wouldn't have done a brilliant job i don't think they would have been as bad as samantha janice or gemini though to be honest no, no. Uh, but there is something, you, you hear it a lot, not just from the UK entries, you hear singers under enormous amount of pressure on the night trying to cope with a loud stadium and a huge, probably the hugest place they've ever played in before. And some of them, they just go and the, and the earpiece might not be quite working right and they lose tune. I, I totally sympathise. I could never do it in a gazillion years. Um, but yeah, uh, for me, as I say, Love City Groove, they actually did hold their song together. And maybe it's easier to rap live like that than it is to do a, yeah, a pop maybe. song. But no, 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 Sonia, she, she did all right, didn't she, with her effort? Well, I mean... So the days of pop... By Sonia, by Sonia terms, yes, but still, she's still awful. But yes, she did okay. Yeah. And, and we won a couple of years later, as well, didn't we? Yeah, but that was Katrina and she could, you know, she could hold a tune and sing live, so fair enough. Indeed, indeed. And we, and we did quite all right the year after, didn't we? Wasn't that uh, Gina G the year after? Gina G, yes, which again... That was 1996. Well, you see, Pop. You see, this might back up your point, because when she performed it, I thought it was a bit disappointing compared to the record, so... It is, yes, it, yes. I, I, I think that's why she didn't win, because it was a number one hit, that, of course. And, and we'll come to that later on in our now journey, but uh, yeah. Indeed. It, um, it does back up your point, actually, now I've come to think about it, so... All right, maybe you win that one then. I never thought I'd hear the day. Anyway, on to track 19, and one of the ones we've already looked at on a previous desk, JX, Son of a Gun. I think we both were pleasantly accepting of it. Yeah, well, uh, number 13, when it was originally released in, yes, 1994. Um, This is a slight remix, ever so slightly remixed. Got uh, higher the second time around, number six, but misses out the awesome drum bit in the middle, which is sacrilege, really. Indeed. Um, right, right. Track twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Hyperlogic, the Hyper. final one. Hyperlogic on uh, on now thirty one. Our final track we're going to review, and only me. <laughs> yes, it's it's not got a sample of that character from Harry Enfield. Um, this it'd be better if it did. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think you'd like this somehow. So this is Ashley's pre-release. Duffer. Um, it wasn't a non-hit. It scraped into number 35 in the chart. It's it's trying to do something interesting, though, isn't it? I'm sure you've spotted that it uses the melody from uh, New Year's Day by U2. Um, mm-hmm. It also uses a vocal sample uh, messed around with, so it doesn't sound like her, uh, of Alison Williams from her track Sleep Talk. Um, but it just doesn't quite hang together, does it, really? Uh, no, I, I don't know that the piano bit from New Year's Day necessarily needed a Euro techno frenzy behind it, which is what it is. Uh, and 
it's weird because I presume that to use a sample, you have to get permission from someone. And presumably that means going to Bono and or the edge and saying, hello there, can we use New Year's Day? Now, if you go to Bono, you can presume he's going to go, well, perhaps, but if you give 10 million pounds to charity or, or adopt a, a refugee from somewhere or something. So I'm I'm suggesting that the only way this got cleared was that they managed to get hold of um, you two on a day when the edge was manning the phones and he was too busy counting spoons to care. Um, either way, the U2 bit is the best thing about this track. The rest of it is really rather horrible. Well, here's the interesting thing. You would think, wouldn't you, that they would have cleared that sample. However, uh, I've just gone to the booklet to see what it says, and the credit is hyperlogic. <laughs> so that's a bit naughty. Um, it could be because it was a pre-release track. Perhaps they didn't have the right um, credits for the booklet, and they just thought, oh, we'll just slap hyperlogic on. They probably wrote that. But... <laughs> but but I assume that for the actual single release, they must surely have put a credit on for at least the U2 bit, if not the Alison Williams uh, sample as well. So uh, we'll, we'll, if, if you own the CD single of this, please do let us know. I think the Venn diagram of people who own the CD single of Hyperlogic and Oblong Desk listeners is relatively small in that little crossover section. I, but you never know. I think you're right, yes. You never know. So there we go. Tis the end of Now 31, which means we've got a couple of bits of business to attend to. The first of which is, look what you could have won. And have you got some delights for me and the listener to consider? Maybe that we'd like to have heard instead of Emanate or Shiva <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, well, I certainly have. I mean, you'd think, because it's quite a strong lineup on this album, I think we both agreed, that there wouldn't be much that could be added to this with something taken away to make it better but this is one of those where i found eight tracks that i think could potentially have been on there um let's get the big one out of the way first the elephant in the room if you like and i'm not talking about howard donald take that back <laughs> for good was number one for four weeks um during the period which this album covers and yet despite take that appearing on now albums previously is not here and that's a bit weird, frankly. I don't think we need to continue this feature any further. That's bonkers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we both agree that's one of their finest, if not the finest, of all their material. I think we can definitely say that we've covered off the this is clearly one that should have been here, whether it's our favourite or not. We'll, we'll carry on because we might have another favourite somewhere along the line. You never know. But I think we can, yes. I think we can agree that... We, that, can certainly, we can certainly say that's that should have been an there. utter oversight. I can only assume they didn't have the rights. Now, going forward, we'll, we'll, we'll move into the realms of the Hits albums and the fact that they made a comeback um, very soon. And going forward, I think Take That appeared on those more often than Now's. So let's just assume it was a rights issue that, there's, that is the reason why it was overlooked, because otherwise it's a, an incredibly weird oversight. Um, so let me rattle through the rest of these anyway and see if you think they're worthy. I suspect you might not for some of these, and uh, I don't either, but I'm just throwing them into the mix. First of all, um, going back a bit, Snap, The First, The Last Eternity, uh, that got to number 15, was played quite a lot on the radio, as I recall. Yeah, I didn't mind it, but I've heard enough of Snap, to be honest. Yeah, they have been on Now albums quite a lot. Again, a bit of a surprise it's not there, but maybe not not a favourite. The next one, I think, um, is a, another quality track that was missed off not over yet by grace which got to number six and you still hear now in uh clubs you still hear it on the radio actually you do not a bad song at all but um 
Yeah, I'm surprised it's not on the dance section. It would fit quite nicely, um, sort of next to Billy Ray Martin. Yeah, maybe they're a little bit too similar. Yeah, maybe it's a rights thing again. But then they've had Perfecto based songs on there before not least of which Perfecto All-Stars on the previous edition so yeah a bit strange couldn't get it for whatever reason or maybe they were saving it for a Now Dance album that might be the reason Let Loose Best In Me quite a nice little pop song number 8 hit maybe not the best thing they ever did no it wasn't really and it's not a patch on Crazy For You and as we've been kind of discussing iconic songs mm. I, I do like the idea that now captures the best of whatever that artist was producing so yeah take that still edging it for me yeah okay um this next one i seem to recall you liked it i didn't really um army of me from bjork that got to number 10 oh now you've thrown a curveball yeah i did i do love i mean yeah listeners know i love bjork and army of me that was a much heavier sound yeah and i can remember bizarrely that it ended up on signals playlist because i can remember hearing oh, it right okay when i when i was back in um in stoke visiting my parents and it came on the radio and i don't know if it was a, a kind of oversight or somebody had stuck it up it's certainly not a john evington style track no i don't remember playing uh, it so are you sure that wasn't before you'd left signal maybe perhaps you played it before you left no, no, no. Yeah. I, I get the impression it may have been put on by accident or <laughs> it may also have been put on deliberately by somebody going against it. But I can imagine it would have had um, follow-up consequences, you know, a word. A word, pop in. Because it was yeah, pop in. It wasn't very signal at all. I, that said, I, I love it a bit. It's not yes, very now album, is it? And I think that's perhaps why it's not here. Because if you look at the way the tracks are laid out, it would pretty much have to go near the start of disc one. And it's not really good enough for that, I wouldn't say. No, it's not really good enough for that. And that that is a valid point. It's kind of, I mean, you could stick it almost in the rock-ish section as a lead into that from the pop. But it no, it does defy kind of categorization, really. It's yeah. just Björk. yeah. Um, the next one, uh, I think we both hated, but it was a big hit, and it's reggae, so I've included it anyway. There must be somebody out there who wishes this was on this album. Ali Campbell, that look in your eye, a number five hit. You're right, it's not me. <laughs> and ditto for probably one of their best-known songs, though it wasn't by any means their biggest hit, because it only got to number nine. M People and Search for the Hero. Now, you'd think that would be on here, wouldn't you? You damn well would, because it's... Like you say, it's, it's almost up there with the iconic stuff. M people were always on now albums. That's bizarre. But it's not very good. But it's iconic. Yeah, it's, it's it's another one like Take That. You'd think it would be there, but it, it isn't. I don't think it's it's a, a favourite of either of us. But uh, there you go. It just goes to show there was a lot to choose from here. And even though Ashley did there was. pretty well, he certainly did. Uh, he'd probably have liked another, you know half a dozen tracks here to cover some of these off and speaking of which another number nine hits and i think this is probably the best thing he ever did solo well no not probably it is the best thing he ever did solo uh paul weller and you do something to me oh i think this is the hardest look at what you could have won you've ever thrown at me uh because yeah this is uh, as well as uh, paul weller having his um, iconic status as a Woking resident, sort of like my good self. I'm on the outskirts of Woking, <laughs> uh, but it counts. Is it, so you've got, you've got him and McLaren and me, and we all kind of live around the edges or lived around the edges of Woking whilst not actually being in it, but we all get lumped into that same, same world. Anyway, what do I think of you do something to me? I think it's a very, very good song. I possibly prefer Wildwood 
of this era, Paul Weller, mm. but it's a closure on thing. I, I think, yeah, he, what he was doing at this time suited the moment and him as well. Yeah, Wildwood is a good song as well. And I think I, I think I threw that in on a previous um, look what you could have won, didn't I? I, th- I think. Yeah. Anyhow, um, I, I, I think this um, Paul Weller track would sit nicely in the kind of section where Seal and Kirsty McColl and Human League are. It, it's of a kind with those. So I think it, it would have been given that we now know that Kirsty McColl uh, days wasn't a hit second time around, it would have been perhaps a, a better one to slot in there, but with the benefit of hindsight, obviously. Um, mm. So yes. I think we both agreed that the number one candidate for why is this not here is take that's back for good, although there's some good candidates there. So what what's your favourite of those eight that I've selected? I know it's tough. It's take that back for good. It's oh so close to Bjork for very, very different reasons. Um I think the reason why I'd pick Take That over Bjork is entirely for that reason you said, is that Take That would fit in onto this Now album. I mean, if not as lead track, then in place of E17, because, as we discussed, there is a trajectory there, and he picked the wrong boy band in this occasion. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And I think, um, although I would love to see Paul Weller and Grace uh, on either disc of this album Paul Weller on the first disc Grace on the second I'm going to have to go with take that as well I think it's it's such a big oversight that it just it has to be chosen because it is that good and we were talking about iconic songs and it's the first song by take that that made people sit up and notice and think oh yeah actually they are quite good I know Robbie Williams didn't agree but he's an idiot so what does he know yeah uh, and as I've been saying all through reviewing take that's earlier work when are we getting to back for good when are we getting back for good (laughs) we're not and it isn't chuffing in (laughs) i think for that reason alone it has to win this particular section right favorite track time and there's as we said some iconic stuff on here so it's going to be a tricky one isn't it it is and for me this is the period that straddles me leaving urn and going off into the wacky world of as previously discussed commercial radio with uh, Signal so um, there's a lot of songs that have certain memories of that time Um, there's an awful lot of stuff that I'd like um, just as kind of different memories like Juice for Eurovision and stuff like that Um, for the fact that we was robbed there you go, I'll say it again Um, and stuff that I like now that I probably didn't at the time like Duran Duran but for me um, just because I think she's ace, and it's the only time I'm going to get to do it. I'm going to have to pick Betty Ray Martin in your loving arms, obviously. Of course you are. Of course you are. Never, ever in doubt. And, uh, she, you know, you might even tweet her, and she might get excited that she's uh, I w- she's I will. won your favourite track. I will do that. that. I'm not going to choose her. The Human League came very close to me just because I'd forgotten how much I loved it. But the fact I had forgotten it, there are some really iconic tracks, as you said, at the, real, at the top of it. Um, that I still love to this day. However, oh, I'm going to annoy you so much. You're going to my pick favorite Baby track, D, aren't you? My favourite track is Baby D. Oh, yes, it is. No. <laughs> it is. And um, there we go. Uh, and I've got to, kind of, just to counteract the fact you hate it so much, I've just got to give it track of the album, kind of just to annoy you. I resign. No, not really. <laughs> We'll be back. We'll, we'll be, do another one. This we'll, we will. We'll, we'll do another be back. one. I think, I think the next one we've got is an occasional table, which is a bit of a, a mishmash. It's the end of an era for Now Dance and the kind of beginning of a reboot for Hits. And then we're on to Now 32, which, well, without giving the game away, 
eclectic doesn't cover it. That's all mm, to come. Looking listen. forward to it. Yeah. Meanwhile, if you have any opinions, particularly on some of our Eurovision hits we've been discussing, those iconic tracks, are they overplayed? Is there such a thing as overplayed? If you're not in the radio industry, maybe you don't get bored of them as quickly. Any thoughts on stuff like that to us on social media at the Oblong Desk, Facebook and Twitter. You can find us there. You can also download every episode of the desk that there's ever been at our website, oblongdesk.podbean.com. And uh, there's loads of stuff on there as well, including serial lists of our winners, losers, warnocks, uh, all sorts of stuff on there. So check it out. It's quite good fun. Indeed, yes, do get in touch with us. We always like to hear what you've got to say. And uh, just as long as you're agreeing with me about Eurovision, of course, and possibly Baby D as well. Um, in the meantime, uh, we will speak to you very soon. So bye for now. Yeah, cheerio. Long Desk was written, presented and produced by Noakes and John Tyndall with additional material by Veronica Spokes and original music by John. Like, follow, share and subscribe at oblongdesk.podbean.com. Oblong Desk.